0: Probably conclude the introduction tonight in the book of Exodus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace as we close out another Lord's Day, the first day of the week, to prepare us for what lies before us over these next few days. We pray that what we learn here this evening, what we've learned in Sunday school, what we've learned in worship, that your word would be hidden into our hearts, into the secret places of our hearts, Father, in order that we may not sin against you. We do pray, Father, for the ones that we have mentioned tonight and others that no doubt are on hearts and minds. We ask that you intervene according to your will, touch and restore those that need uh, specific uh, uh, dispensing of your grace for physical purposes. We do pray this evening, Father, for our children and for our students as they're studying the Word of God. And then we ask, Lord, that you'd illuminate our hearts and minds as we continue to look at the introduction to this marvelous book of the Exodus. All these things we ask in your name. Amen. Okay. Uh, So most of... What we covered here a couple of weeks ago is before you on the overhead, and I provided to you an introduction to Exodus. Now, that's uh, an outline, and it, and it is uh, fairly involved. But the key thing to remember is that the, <clears throat> uh, the book of Exodus uh, is the story about the birth and rise of Moses. This morning we talked about prophets and how God used him to establish what we now know as the Mosaic Covenant or the giving of the law. And so, a good portion of that, from uh, chapter 5 through chapter 15, we have the story of course, Moses goes back to Egypt and. Stands before Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron stands before Pharaoh, and then we have all of the different uh, confrontations between the prophet of God and the Pharaoh of Egypt. Interestingly enough, uh, Gordon and Mike have been teaching through the book of Ezekiel in our Sunday school class, and there's quite a bit, still quite a bit of prophecy, and this is uh, uh, about a thousand years or so, uh, a little less than a thousand years after. Uh, the giving of the law in the book of Ezekiel, but still quite a bit of prophecy about Egypt, and they're covering all of those uh, prophecies that uh, Yahweh gave to Ezekiel about Egypt, because Egypt is, if you're looking for the uh, the arch nemesis of the nation of Israel, and there were many, but Egypt is the prototypical villain. In the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, it's carried forth even into the New Testament. So we see this confrontation that takes place from chapters 5 through the end of chapter 15. Uh, Pharaoh lets the people go, but only temporarily. He has a change of heart, and he sets out obviously to, uh, you got a million, million and a half people probably that have helped you build a, a, a marvelous kingdom. And it's kind of hard to let all your, your uh, free labor go. So there's uh, uh, the confrontation takes place at the Red Sea. The Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, is the greatest miracle performed in the Old Testament. It is reiterated time and again in the New Testament. So God reminded the people, I've redeemed you and I've delivered you through the parting of the Red Sea. A great miracle. Uh, great passages of Scripture, then the New Covenant that's established toward the middle of the book. We just read from chapter 19 and then um, into chapter 20. That New Covenant begins with the Ten Commandments. Um, Not all of the law is given to us in the book of Exodus. That filters into the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy. So all told, by the time you finish 613, 618 laws, uh, about half of which are, a little more than half, are uh, moral laws, and the rest are ceremonial laws, and we are not under ceremonial law anymore. We are still held accountable to the moral law, we'll talk about that when we come to that. Um, The instructions for the Mosaic uh, Covenant, and then toward the end of the book, the last uh, Fifteen chapters or so, we have the detail. God is in the detail. We have the detail given to the construction of the tabernacle, which would, which is the template, if you please, for what would become eventually the permanent temple of Solomon, or at least at that time, the per- permanent temple of Solomon. Next slide. So let's talk over these next few minutes here about some of the background to. Uh, the book. Um, Exodus, the word Exodus comes from the Septuagint. It's not found in the, word, in the book in, uh, in any of the Hebrew texts, the Masoretic text. It's a, it's a Greek word, and obviously it means, uh, it's derived from the primary event that took place in the book, which is the deliverance from slavery and the um, redemption of God's people, the Exodus of God's people, the Israelite people, out of Egypt by the hand of Yahweh. So When you say, when I say turn to Exodus chapter 1 or whatever that may be, the reference there, the the title of the book was uh, presented uh, or was used in the Septuagint. The Septuagint, and I don't have that up here, but the Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Old Testament by about 70 rabbis and scribes. Septuagint means or is a reference to the seventy. It was translated somewhere between the completion of the book of Malachi and the beginning of the, what we know as the New Testament, the book of Matthew. Jesus himself quoted from the Septuagint. Uh, Paul and Peter and Luke and others, these, these individuals, if you lived in Palestine, you knew Hebrew, you spoke Aramaic, and you could converse in Greek. They weren't Americans. They weren't stooped in one language. And, of course, Americanized very, very broad, but just keep that in mind. So they had a, an affinity for at least three languages and sometimes more. So who wrote the book? Well, turn with me to Acts chapter 7. I think we, we know, for the most part, that Moses is mentioned as the author of the book. And it is part of what we refer to as the Pentateuch, and that is just uh, a Hebrew reference for the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, It is the foundational, these are the foundational, rather, books for the beginning of uh, the Old Testament and for the establishment of the covenants and the in the book of Genesis and, of course, the Mosaic Covenant found in uh, the uh, books of Exodus, Leviticus, and uh, Deuteronomy. So early Jewish tradition uh, established the understanding that Moses was the one probably, certainly was most qualified and a very learned individual. And so the thought is that he himself did write the first five books of the Bible, and he wrote these books as they were preparing to go into the promised land before, just before his death. Now, he may have collected uh, uh, information or, or kept a log, we don't know. But primarily, he wrote most of them just before the Lord took his life before the Hebrew people went into the Promised Land. We know the story of Moses. We'll see it as we begin to go through uh, the book. He was born into a Hebrew family, and then Pharaoh's daughter. We all know we learned this in Sunday school many, many years ago. Pharaoh's daughter took him in as her own, and apparently for many years he was incognito. No one knew except for his mother and a few others that uh, he was a Hebrew child. And so he became one of the princes of Egypt. And we see in the sermon here in Acts 7 uh, that uh, was preached by Stephen on the day of his martyrdom, he refers to the writing of uh, Moses, verse 20, Uh, At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And he goes into quite a bit uh, of uh, information behind the writing of Moses. Moses. And in verse 35, this Moses whom you rejected. Now, obviously, the Hebrews didn't reject Moses. They considered him one of the three great prophets in the Old Testament. Um, and so uh, the, what he's alluding to here is the writings of Moses. You rejected the writings of Moses. So, secondly, there's internal evidence in the book itself that supports Moses uh, having written the book of Exodus. And let's go back to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus 24 and verse... So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. All the people answered with one voice all the words which the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. Twelve fellows according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And look at verse 2. Moses alone shall come near the Lord. But they shall not come near nor shall the people go up with him. Talked about prophets this morning. God was very selective in his prophets, and Moses obviously is, uh, um, is no different. And the third reason, uh, the, many other biblical books refer to the law of Moses. Turn to Joshua. We just look at a couple of these. <clears throat> Verse 7. And this is uh, the Lord before Joshua, verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall uh, shall not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate in it day and night. You may observe to do according to all that is written in them. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have Good success. So that's uh, outside of the Pentateuch, and the Lord's telling Joshua obviously that that uh, He used Moses as the um, as the instrument for the giving of the law. Turn to First Kings two. David is on his deathbed. He is instructing his son Solomon. Verse 1, Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. And then he says a similar thing, that you may prosper in all that you do, and wherever you so that's found uh, in a number of passages. You go to Mark chapter 7, the Lord Himself <clears throat> reiterates the writing of the book of Exodus or the writing of the, the law of Moses in <clears throat> Mark chapter 7. Verse 9, he said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, and this of course is the, the part of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother and he who curses father and mother let him be put to death. So, and <clears throat> not only here in the Gospel of Mark but also in Matthew 15 this is mentioned as well. So Jesus himself took the <laughs> well-known position that Moses wrote the uh, uh, the Book of Exodus, the Pentateuch. Next slide, if you would, brother. <clears throat> Tim, is that the next slide? Is that slide three? Do I did I duplicate that slide? Go to the next slide. Is there a slide five? Okay, So this will finish us up tonight. So I did duplicate. I didn't mean to do that. <clears throat> One of the things that uh, and I, I suspect that all of your Bibles, in fact, turn to the back of your Bibles and look at the maps. There were no GPS systems. In fact, there were very few maps. So they typically traveled by the stars or by the sun. I suspect that one of, if not the first map that you have, is of the Exodus from Egypt. And you certainly will have one uh, if you have any type of study Bible at all. And there are some... uh, additions that I've made to this particular map because of some recent discoveries, but it's always a good thing to understand the geography behind uh, the book. It helps us understand um, the movement of the people. Uh, As we visited the Ark this week and the Creation Museum, there were uh, displays, that uh, dioramas in some cases, that presented to uh, the people that passed through the museums the, the understanding of the geography that uh, the Hebrew people and the peoples of the Bible uh, lived in. And one of the ways that you study the Bible is to have a, Uh, a fairly good uh, rendering of where these people are from, the geographical region they're from, why that's important, and why they move from point A to point B to point C and so forth. Uh, We do it when we travel, do we not? Now, we punch it in generally now, but uh, I know several years ago when we traveled to the West Coast, we bought a big Rand McNally road map. And we use that as often as we use the GPS system because it has quite a bit more detail to it. So it's, it's interesting to understand the geog- geographical region. Now, they were in Goshen, and we'll see that. And Goshen, it may be on your map, may or may not be on your map. But we learned at the close of the book of Genesis that Goshen was the richest land in Egypt. So before they became slaves, God placed them in the richest land. Joseph actually aided for their placement in the land of Goshen. Uh, Goshen was very, very different from the land they were headed to. In fact, when they got to the land, when they got to Canaan, a lot of them said, why did we leave Egypt? I mean, look at this land. It's barren. So when you go from point A, Egypt, a very fertile plain, Goshen, and you come to Canaan, sometimes we scratch our heads. But that is, was God's purpose. It is God's purpose in these people. And we can't explain that. So they traveled out of Egypt. They traveled across barren land as they left Egypt. They travel to, as, uh, as we understand Scripture, to the Red Sea and to that Sinai Peninsula, to the Gulf of Agaba. We'll talk about that when we get to the uh, parting of the Red Sea and how all this took place. But it is important to understand that moving from the land of Goshen, uh, practically, if not all the way, across or at least to the south and the uh, east of the Sinai Peninsula to Horeb, to Sinai And there they encamped for quite a while. And there God gave Moses the law. It's important to understand that. He didn't give them the law in Egypt. He got them out of Egypt, then gave them the law. He separated his people. It's important to understand that. It's important for you and I to understand. That. It's a separation. The Mosaic covenant separates Yahweh to his people and his people from the rest of the world. Different. So the book covers about 80 years. Moses is born. Um, he is a prince of Egypt for about the first 40 years, takes a man's life, he goes to the back, what they call the backside of the desert, which would be. Uh, where in, in, on uh, my map would be the land of, uh, of Edom. He is crossed into Arabia. And there he uh, tends a herd for Jethro, who would eventually become his father-in-law. All right? And he marries one of his daughters, Zipporah. And he stays there. And until the Lord presented himself to to uh, Moses, he was completely content just to be a shepherd. So we think that, based on the scripture, Moses was born in and about 1526 B.C. Now here's another thing from, from the Ark and from the Creation Museum that you need to Remember? The times that are mentioned in the book of Genesis and the times that are mentioned in the book of Exodus earlier on are generally associated with solar calendars. So they were fairly accurate. They were not inaccurate. The writing of the Old Testament, interestingly, was not written around a Hebrew calendar, which was 360 days, although the months are Hebrew. So one of the things that changed when they moved from Canaan to the land of Egypt was that they accepted the solar calendar. And as we made our way through these uh, exhibitions, it, one of the things that I, and Mike and I were talking we appreciated the fact that uh, a lot of what you see The Bible doesn't go into a great bit of detail about the ark. It gives us the size. uh, It gives us the uh, approximate length of time Moses took to build it. We we know about the animals and so forth, but it doesn't give us a lot of detail. So you have to move from what the Bible gives you through some investigation. We talked about that this morning. And uh, a good knowledge of ancient... Hebrew history or ancient uh, antediluvian history, people before the flood, and try to put all these things together. And they were very, very uh, uh, honest with saying, this is what we think. This is, we know this may be subjective, and we understand that, and you need to know that. So when the Bible speaks, we have the authority to speak about what the Bible speaks about. When the Bible doesn't speak, we are to otherwise we make things up. And so that's what we see here, okay? So it's about 80 years. Moses doesn't die in Exodus. It's not to the end of Deuteronomy that he passes away. And so about 1526 or so B.C., and what occurred uh, on Mount Sinai approximately 1446 B.C. These are approximate dates. Um, We can't claim any accuracy, but we can't say that they're inaccurate necessarily. So that's the the approximate date. Why is Exodus important? Why are we looking at another Old Testament book, Preacher? Well, it's important because of the Mosaic Covenant. The entire remainder of the Old Testament is built around the giving of the law, the law of Moses. The entire New Testament is written to teach us that we can't live the law of Moses. And so we need the mediator, one man between God and one, yeah, one man between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. We need the mediator in order to live that. So God miraculously, and we see many, many miracles in the book of Exodus. He miraculously and dramatically delivered his people from chattel slavery. The slavery in Roman times was not chattel slavery, and by that I mean they were uh, under the absolute dominion of the Egyptian people. They were kept uh, <clears throat> kept down. They were they were deprived of many, many human rights. When we get to the New Testament and Roman slaves, and there were, it is estimated, 60 to 70 million slaves in the Roman Empire, but the overwhelming majority were not chattel slaves. They were what we would consider to be indentured servants. Your teachers, your lawyers, your doctors, and others were slaves in the Roman Empire. And they would work full-time for a particular family, for the Senate, whatever, and then they would suffer release. Not so here in the book of uh, Exodus. Israel becomes a theocratic nation. America is not a theocratic nation. We, at this point, do not want America to be a theocratic nation. When Jesus comes, he will establish a theocratic kingdom, but not before that. Only God can establish a theocracy. Any time that man has attempted to do that, he's messed it up. As my wife says, it's just a big mess. And that's what happens. So they become a theocratic nation under Yahweh, as led by Moses. And this causes them no, pro- no, no end to problems. So remember that. <clears throat> we see the ten plagues. We learn of the Passover. The parting of the Red Sea. The majesty of God's presence on Mount Sinai. The giving of the ten commandments. The building of the tabernacle. We see the building. The fabrication of the golden calf. Idolatry is deep-seated in the heart and life of man. Uh, And all of these events are foundational to the Jewish faith and to the Judeo-Christian understanding of how God is moving in our hearts and our lives. They provide, indeed, a a crucial background context to understand the entire Bible's message of redemption. Uh, A year or so ago, maybe a couple of years ago now, we studied biblical theology on Sunday night. And that's basically looking at the Old Testament, looking at the New Testament, and see how all of God's great purposes work together. Well, this is foundational. The book of Exodus is foundational to understanding biblical theology. We see it time and time again in the New Testament. Jesus would speak to it. Paul would speak to it. Peter's going to speak to it. The writer of Hebrews speaks to it, so forth and so on. It doesn't go away. So what we learn here, we'll carry through the rest of the Bible. Any comments or questions? Thank you. Let's be dismissed. Father, we're looking forward to the study. We thank you that in your wisdom, you moved in the heart of Moses to record these particular events so that we would understand that we're sinners that need to be saved by grace. And that although your law is good and it's perfect, uh, we understand we we cannot live it. We may subscribe to it. We may think that uh, there's something within us that permits us this level of, perfection, or this level of obedience, and we are dreadfully, dreadfully wrong. So remind us as we venture through this great, great book, and be reminded, help us to understand that when you told Moses that your name is I am that I am, that that name still applies. In Jesus' name we make this prayer.